Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. see you. Thanks for making your way all the way over to Pasadena and to this campus. Uh, For some of you, this may be your first time over. Thank you. It's a beautiful place and we're very blessed to be here. I want to take you on a little journey this morning. Uh, We're participating in the 101st Psalm today and it is known as the Psalm of Ascent and I'm going to describe a little bit about what that means and We believe that it's not only a psalm of ascent, but it's also part of the actual liturgy of the ascent. And so as we kind of think about that, I want to revisit the conversation we had last week, and that is, what is your self-talk? What do you tell yourself about life, about your journey, about what's happening around you, about the world, about all of the things that are happening? This little series is taken from the psalms, and... Uh, Colton kicked us off, by the way, uh, Colton and Shaylee uh, welcomed their new baby this past week, so we're celebrating that. So you can uh, send up a prayer for them as they uh, celebrate and adjust and all of that. And so uh, Colton kicked us off a couple of weeks ago when he talked about a gracious God, and last week we talked about uh, a righteous God. If, if you are wondering why it's broken and you'd like to fix it, uh, God's on it. He's a righteous God. He's working to, to do that. And today we're thinking about an attentive God. And when we get to the end of the biblical narrative, we have John peering into heaven, observing and hearing what's being said, and we hear Jesus saying, listen, I'm making all things new. This is where it's all headed. This is where it's all going. This is the trajectory. This is the teleos. This is what's happening Behind the scenes, God is making all things new. All things, all the time. And I think it's worth speaking that into our self-talk and into our hearts and minds and spirits. The ancients are very interesting people because they developed uh, pantheons of gods. This is very common didn't really matter if we go all the way back to the ancient Chaldeans, if we talk about the Persian hierarchy, a pantheon of gods, if we talk about the Greeks, if we talk about the Romans. And, and, and my guess is for you that because uh, we tend to talk a little bit more about mythology in school, that maybe you know a few of the Greek gods in the pantheon, Zeus and Poseidon and Aphrodite and Athena and Artemis and Apollo and Ares. Maybe those names ring a bell. And most of you know that uh, when the Romans took over from the Greeks and they came to power, they were Hellenists. They held on to much of the Greek tradition. However, they did change the names of the gods. And so they rebranded them, same sets of gods, but different names. So maybe you know these two, Apollo, Neptune, Venus, Bacchus, Jupiter, Mars. Uh, Same gods, new names because the Romans renamed everything. When you go back into the ancient Canaanite tradition, didn't you come across a lot of biblical gods of the pantheon that you hear or read? Asherah, Baal, Hermon, Baal, Hammon. In fact, we could do a lot of Baals, but we're not going to do them all this morning. Uh, Dagon, Molech, 
There's lots of others. So they created these pantheons of gods, the ancients. And here's what's so shocking about this process. They were faulty gods. I mean, if you were going to come up with a bunch of gods, wouldn't you want some of them to be nice? Wouldn't you want some of them to be, you know, smart, strong, wise, stable? But the pantheon of the gods was really the understanding was that these gods had very human emotions. They had very human behaviors. They had very human dispositions. And they were swayed in their thinking and in their decision making the same way you and I are swayed in our decision making. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel happy or comfortable. To think that the gods who, who you know, have power are basing those decisions on very human emotions. And that's the story. When you read the mythology of the ancient world, they, they might decide to wipe out a whole group of people just because they had a bad day. And that's how people lived. That's how they thought. Can you imagine the psyche of a culture that for thousands of years understood this to be the underpinning of creation. Faulty gods who are completely arbitrary, who use human beings as playthings, who can be offended at the slightest thing, and most of the consequences suffered by this faultiness of the gods has to do with human beings. Human beings suffered. Human beings bore the brunt of the fickleness of the gods and the faultiness of the gods. No wonder people grew up with these deep superstitions and fear of the divine. One of my most vivid memories about being uh, in uh, Bolivia when we had our mission partnership there is that in the morning when the sun came up, you would hear fireworks. And if you inquire, you'll find out that most people still take a firecracker in the morning and light it and throw it out the front door to scare away the evil spirits before they exit their home because they still live under that sense of superstition, that sense that the gods are to be appeased or hidden from or, or, or somehow you're negotiating because you want to put yourself in the best place possible not to be harmed by the divine powers that rule the world. It's in that setting that God speaks to a man named Terah. That the God of the universe calls him by name and says, Listen, I've got something going here that's not like all this other stuff. All this other stuff is not real, but I want to speak to you, Terah. And he says, I've got a plan for you, and I want you to do some things for me. And so Terah takes his family. They live in Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, as it's known. And it is a center for the worship of the sun god. And, and so Tara says, oh, man, uh, God is speaking and telling me to go. So I'm going to go. So he gets up and he leaves this center of worship for the sun god and he goes to Haran. And Haran is the center of the moon god. He figures, you know, the real god told me to leave and so it's not the sun god. It must be the moon god. So he makes his way to Haran. Now the moon god is evil because... The ancients believed that the moon god appeared at night in the darkness and bad things happen in the dark. And in fact, the moon can make you crazy. It is from this understanding that we get the word lunatic, lunatic, because the moon makes you crazy because it operates at night. 
And so Terah gets to Haran, the center for the worship of the moon god, and he just kind of stays. He just kind of plants himself there. And he raises a family, and one of those children is named Abram. And Abram, when he's 75 years old, now God speaks again and says, Abram, uh, this was not the plan. In fact, what I have for you is a plan to give you a promised land, to be your God, and you'll be my people. And we will have not this sort of very vicarious, weird relationship of the pantheon, but, but I'll be a personal God to you, and we'll be in personal relationship. See, it's the only time we... In, in the ancient world, we have this story interrupting the flow. You have all kinds of stories about people trying to figure out the gods and appease them, but you only have one story of God reaching down to human beings and initiating and paying attention to them. And so Abram gets up. What an amazing line it is in that story. 75 years old. Where are you going, Abraham? I don't know. I don't know. I just know God's sending me. And he begins to make his way towards Israel towards the Holy Land, towards the Promised Land, and arrives in Jerusalem, and there on uh, Mount Moriah, he offers Isaac as a sacrifice. The, the story begins to unfold, God's massive intervention in the story and in the lives of his people, Israel, through whom all the world is to be blessed. This amazing story of an attentive God that reaches into our lives. The Jews, in celebration of all that God had done in their story and in their lives, are required to come to Jerusalem three times a year. If you lived outside a certain perimeter, you weren't required to come, but, but, but within that perimeter, you were supposed to come to the three major feasts of celebration. And we're told that literally hundreds of thousands of Jews came back to Jerusalem to celebrate the three high holidays. The first one being the Feast of Passover that celebrated the Exodus. The second being the Feast of Pentecost a few weeks later that celebrated the giving of the law through Moses. And the third being the Feast of Tabernacles, which took place in the fall and was a celebration of, uh, of the fall harvest. But it was also a celebration and a commemorative of the wandering in the wilderness. And people literally, and still do today, they move into tents outside temporary shelters outside to commemorate the wandering of those years. You are required to come. You are required to participate. It doesn't matter really where you come from, what direction you come from in Israel. When you are approaching Jerusalem, you are making an ascent. Jerusalem sits on a mountaintop. It's about 8,000 feet, not a particularly high mountain, but given the surrounding plains and the fact that the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, everything is moving up towards Jerusalem. So we believe that the 120th Psalm, in fact, they are labeled the 120 through the 134th Psalm are called Psalms of Ascent. We believe a couple of things about these Psalms. One is we believe that they were the actual songs sung by the pilgrims as they made their ascent towards Jerusalem. They sang. They sang. They let it out. They belted it out. They sang some songs along the way. But we also believe that buried in these songs of ascent are the actual liturgy. And the 121st Psalm is a psalm of the liturgy of what is happening. So I want to set the stage for you. And I want you to imagine this. God seemed to understand human beings in such a way that he really knew that you and I have a hard time transitioning very quickly. Amen? I mean, we get sad quickly, but we don't get glad quickly. It takes a little time for us to work out our issues. Amen? Yeah. 
And so in this understanding, these celebrations were long. You arrived, so there was the journey, and then you stayed for seven days. It was a week-long celebration because it takes human beings some time to reorder their brains. Like, I don't know, do you ever go on vacation and you find that the first week that you're on vacation is just toxic? Like you shouldn't have stopped? Like you're like, I don't know why I stopped. I should have kept going. I, I compared it to being a surfer, you know? It's like you're riding the wave, but then you stop and the wave washes over you. And then you're just like, I don't ever want to get on the wave again. I just want to quit. I don't want to do anything. It takes a little time to purge all that and start to really rest and feel some kind of refreshment. In fact, if I ask you, how long has it been since you were down long enough to feel refreshed? How long has it been since you rested long enough to go, I think I'm ready to go back. I think I'm looking forward to going back. I think I want to go back to work. (laughs) Okay. Can you imagine three times a year taking off a couple weeks and making the ascent to the house of God, to the place of God? And can you appreciate the symbolism of this? I'm leaving behind the low stuff. I'm getting out of the valley. I'm getting out of the junk. I'm getting out of the messiness. We're planning, we're packing, we're gathering our things together, and we are on a journey of ascent. We are moving up to the mountain of God to visit with God, to be reassured by God, to get away from all of the false stuff, from all of the messiness, from all of the confusion. You know, down here in the valley, it is hard to sort out what's going on. It's just stuff. It's just crowded. It's just chaotic. It's just overwhelming. But but what we're making a journey, and this is a journey of ascent, and we're going to sing some songs as we move along. We're going to move up, we're going to get closer, we're going to get higher, the view's going to get better, the air is going to get better, we're going to breathe better, we're going to think better, we're going to move towards this place where God is reassuring us. And it's not just that we're doing this in a human sense, this is a divine appointment. God said, I want you to do this, I want you to celebrate the feast of the Passover, From now on, you will do this to commemorate God's amazing intervention who took you out of the low place and brought you into the high place. And you're going to celebrate this feast of Pentecost in which you're not just left alone to figure it out, but God gives you instruction, guidance. I want you to move up out of confusion into a place of order. And I want you to celebrate the fact that you have a home and you have a place to belong and there is a harvest and there is a a, a provision that's been made for you. And I want you to call attention to these things because that life down low is not the life that is true. This life is true. And it should, you want to take what you get here back to the low places so it sustains you in the meantime. That's what's happening. The 121st Psalm, we believe, is a part of the liturgy of that experience as those pilgrims begin to arrive in the city of Jerusalem and begin to make their way towards the temple. Let me read it to you and then we'll break it down a little bit. Everybody doing okay? All right. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. The liturgy. So imagine with me, if you will, that a group of pilgrims are arriving at the gates of the temple and someone among the pilgrims cries out, I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I don't know. We're kind of shy folks. We're a rather sedate group, aren't we? I mean, we, we have a tendency to play it pretty safe. One of my favorite things about being in Swaziland is that they do not like dead air in their services. You understand what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean by dead air? You know, they cover awkward silences by singing. And it doesn't matter. It's not on the program. No one is assigned this task. It is a random moment. So let me give you an example. So, you know, usually I have to preach when I go there. Now, I will be honest with you and tell you, there is no way it's good. There is no way when you listen to what those pastors do, that is not what I do. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody get what I'm saying? They're expressive and exuberant and, and loud, and, and I'm not. And I always think this is going to be disappointing. I mean, these people are going to go home and go, man, that guy from North America, I think he was on something. <laughs> he was just a flat line the whole time. You know. But they'll introduce, you know, because you're an honored guest, and they'll introduce you, and then you'll come forward. Well, it takes time. I mean, it takes at least 15 seconds to get from where you're sitting to the front. Well, that is 15 seconds of silence. That is too much. That's dead air. And 15 seconds of silence can't happen in a worship service. And some random person in the congregation will just sing out. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yourself at a moment of dead air just saying, I feel it, and just blurting it out? And I got to be honest with you, it's not always good. And then graciously, everybody joins in. So, you know, I'm walking up to the platform with this like, all right, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> this is going to be good. I got to tell you, it sort of peaks right there. <laughs> and so someone in the midst of the crowd, they cry out, I will look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And the whole crowd now answers my help comes from the God of heaven and earth. Now, why is this so important? Because they're ascending the hill. They're coming to the high places. And they know their history is that the high places around Jerusalem have been used to worship the pantheon of the gods of the Persians, of the gods of the Chaldeans, of the gods of their friends and neighbors. The Babylonians, the Persians. You read your history. How many kings set up high places around Jerusalem to worship the other gods? And that's the question. They're asking these folks coming from the low places as they approach the high places, I will look to the mountains. Where does your help come from? You got a choice to make. You got a decision to make. We, we trust in a lot of things. We, we look to a lot of different things. We, we, you know, we try to cover our bases. We try to appease everything. We 
We, we, we try to make sure, you know, well, I don't know, I'm a little superstitious about that, but it doesn't do any harm to fix that. It doesn't do any harm to, you know, and, and so just this proclamation three times a year, you came out of the low place. What, where are you headed and what are you about? We're about God, the maker of heaven and earth, they say. I will lift up my eyes. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then the priest speaks from within the gates of the temple. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. So they've come to the gate. They've declared what they're there for. And now the priest from inside says, listen, he won't let your foot slip. And he won't ever slumber or sleep. Why Why is he saying these things? Well... The wording in Hebrew here suggests that it is not only a statement of promise, but it is also a request. God, please don't let my foot slip. Please protect me. As I make this journey, as I move from the low places to the high places, it's a slippery slope. Amen? Isn't it funny how easily we can get derailed in our thankfulness? As we move from the low places to the high places, it doesn't take much, does it? I mean, one little phrase, one little word, one little disaster, one little... And when I say disaster, you know, I mean things like, you know, the pie didn't turn out. Amen? You know, our football team lost. You know, it didn't take much for my foot to slip. They looked at me funny. They were 10 minutes late. They didn't tell me it tasted good. Isn't it funny how quickly our feet slip from this ascent towards God and thanksgiving? And so the priest assures him, God will not let your foot slip, and don't, God, please don't let our feet slip. God does not slumber. Why is that important? Remember Elijah? Remember the battle with the prophets of Baal? And as they go unanswered, the prayers of the prophets of Baal, what does he say? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he fell asleep and he doesn't listen. The priest is calling attention to the tradition that says, your God does not sleep or slumber. Those other gods in the pantheon, they do. They're not reliable. Why would you trust them? We know that people along the way have built other high places to worship other things, but you're worshiping the true God. And he never slumbers. And he never sleeps. The priest continues... He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. It's this reassurance now. Listen, just so you know, this is not the same old thing. It's not the same old God. It's not the same old faultiness. It's not the same old... This is a God who pays attention to you, who sees you. And I want to stop there for a minute and just remind you. Do you ever feel like your story is so intricate that God is not into the details? Like, God is going to take care of you somehow, some way. But he doesn't need to be down in all of the emotion and relational. And uh, and he doesn't care about those things. Do you ever reason with yourself and say, well, I don't really need to pray about that. Because, you know, God, there's bigger things for God to be worried about than this. And I don't think God's into these kind of details. The priest is reassuring them of this. God is attentive to these details. God doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber and he gets involved in our lives. He, he climbs into the little things. Do you ever do this awareness thing where you just stop and you think about your thinking? 
You know, what am I really worried about? What am I really turning over in my head? What's really going on up there? Isn't it amazing that our minds can operate on their own without our supervision? Does that surprise anybody? It surprises me all the time to think, you know, my mind is off on a journey and I'm not even paying attention to it. And sometimes I have to stop and go, wait a minute, what am I thinking? I feel, I feel sad about what I'm thinking, but I don't even know what it is. Let me, let me go back. Okay. I'm starting to remember. God is attentive to these details of who we are and how we're made. And, and when we become aware of what we're thinking, we're invited to, you know, not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make our requests known to God. We're to let it go. You know, God, I, I realize this is running around in there. I know you don't slumber. I know you don't sleep. I know you're attentive to these needs. Number five, now the priest speaks to them about shade. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The gates have opened now. We believe this is the first statement inside the gates of the temple. The gates are thrown open. And what more would weary travelers want than some shade? I mean, maybe something cool to drink and a donut, but... This is, a, this is the moment that the temple gates open and these pilgrims who go in on this long journey, they enter in and, and this very, you understand the tactile understanding of how God works. He's not saying, I want you to have a spiritual experience. He's saying, you have walked a long journey of ascent up the mountain and now you're tired and you've got some weariness going on and God will give you shade. And it's not just the literal shade as you walk into this temple colonnade, but it is also symbolically that God will shade your life. When you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you're wilting, when you feel like you don't have enough strength, God will provide shade for you, protection for you from the sun. From the sun. From the sun. Because that matters. The Lord will keep you from all Harm now, number six, he'll keep you from evil. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. Well, why does this matter to these pilgrims? Because their life has been embedded among people who live in fear of the God of the sun and the God of the moon. He will provide you shade, protection from those most powerful. You understand the sun and the moon are the most powerful images of the celestial beings. Do you understand? I mean, maybe you can, uh, you know, uh, this is just a question for you, and it'll prove my ignorance, but that's okay. How many of you look at the uh, constellations in the sky and see what you're supposed to see? How many of you do? I mean, I see the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. I can go there. But the bear and the archer, I'd be like, yeah, I don't. I mean, what kind of imagination does it take? Those dots don't... I have done dot to dot, and that is not it. <laughs> Any, is that anybody else but me? Yeah, so the ancients must have felt that way too. So when you look to the heavens and the celestial beings, it's the sun and the moon that get the attention, that, that represent the dominant force of the other stuff. So what does the priest say? He will shade you. He will protect you from the sun 
and he will protect you from the moon because there is no power in all of that stuff. There is only power in the presence and in the attentiveness of this God. And then finally, the last phrase from the priest is a blessing. He will watch over your coming and your going. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And as they reach their destination, as they have ascended now, they have this blessing spoken over them. And they have arrived at the celebration of the feast. Of the coming away from the low places, moving towards the high places. This morning, if that were you, if I just asked you to put yourself into this story, and I were to say to you, what would it mean for you in this week ahead to move from the low places to the high places? Well, what would that look like to you? What are the low places? Maybe this afternoon you might just write them down, you know, because we will, I'll give you some categories. We have relational low places, don't we? I bet we could say, here's some right here. Here's a few relational unknowns, a few relational low places that I'd like to come away from. We have emotional low places. Here's some things that are processing in, uh, inside of me. And, and I want to move away from this low place to a higher place. And, and I can't do that on my own. I, I have to have a reassurance. Where does my strength? I will look to the mountains. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He will watch over you. Please, God, don't let my feet slip. As I move towards this place of thankfulness, make my feet sure as I move forward. What are the low places? Some of us have mental low places. We don't think very good thoughts help me to come away from the low places, to move towards the high places. I want this week to be a place of ascent. I want to move from the low places, and not just for a few minutes to feel better. I want to move to this greater truth. I'm not escaping from reality. I'm escaping to reality. God is in control. He will give me shade and comfort. He will protect me from the sun and the moon. He will watch over me. Go in that peace. Be blessed now and forevermore. Can you imagine three times a year taking a couple of weeks and going, you know what, I'm just going to shut down. I'm going to make a journey. It's going to cost me something physically. I'm going to have to walk and work and, and, and arrive and feel the presence of God and be in this place of, uh, of celebration and the, the vividness of the ritual and the traditions of worship. I'm going to see it. I'm going to engage in it. I'm going to fill my heart and mind and spirit, and I'm going to retool and be ready to move back into a place of life and service. Let's let this week be that. Let's keep that image in our head. Let's make an ascent towards the celebration of Thanksgiving. God, would you please help us as we make this journey? And even as we close now with this beautiful blessing, this beautiful biblical blessing, of God speaking to us and inviting us into space, I just pray that we could receive, that we could open our hearts and minds and spirits and, and begin our journey of ascent out of the low places towards the high places.
Would you be at work in every life represented, in every home, in every family, in every celebration of this week? Would you go before? Would you bring it peace? Would you be present? Would you work things out in a way that there is genuine joy and celebration? We invite it. We seek it. And we trust in you. And collectively, we proclaim, God, we find our strength in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And we will lean into that as we make this journey of ascent. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Will you stand as we respond and receive the blessing? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.